It's Wednesday, April 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in the studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and all the way across the border from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Alex Sherrick. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be in here. Um, uh, before I get to the topics, uh, a programming note. This is going to be a short week for us. This is, this is our last Market Foolery of the week. Relax. We will be back on Monday. So, Save your emails, save your phone calls. We, we will be back on Monday. Uh, but today we are going to talk online gaming. We're going to talk social media. Uh, a CEO on the hot seat is a whole lot poorer today as a result of being on the hot seat. And we're going to talk about the latest innovation in the airline industry. Uh, but let's start with online gaming. Shares of Zynga are up more than 13% this morning after the company announced it will launch two new real money gambling games in the UK. Uh, one of them is a poker game, Jason. One of them is a casino game, which involves slots and table games and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I know you're not a fan of Zynga, but if you're buying shares at the beginning of the year, you're already up a, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% on this stock. Right, and now, I mean, they're going to get into online gambling, so what can go wrong, Chris, right? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, this this certainly doesn't change my mind on Zynga, the company. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of online gambling before. I think we were talking here before taping, and Alex was noting that it seems like we've been here before in some capacity. I, th- I think the biggest problem I have with online gambling is it's it's so subject to litigation and controversy and to me, it's just, you know, you, you, the stock is essentially going to have to do well based on the misfortune of others, pretty much. And uh, so, I, you know, I look at this and think, well, for me, it's not going to be something that turns the Zynga ship around. This is a great example of an investment thesis that has completely changed from the IPO. Sure, right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it went on, uh, it IPO'd as, as, you know, social gamer, part of Facebook universe. Farm it was going to just follow Facebook all the way to the top. And, well, we kind of see where that's gotten them thus far, and the Facebook relationship is more or less dissolved. And so there are no real barriers there. I mean, anybody can really replicate what they're doing, and, and so I just don't see any compelling reason to invest in it. To, to, to Zynga's defense, if, they, if they're going to do it somewhere, the UK is the right place to do it. I was actually just in London last week with my family, and you go down any of these high streets and you see uh, as many uh, betting parlors along the road as, as we do see gas stations in the United States or, uh, or liquor stores in, 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 many st- in many places. So if they're going to start somewhere, I guess they're starting in the right place. But yeah. you know, this, is a, this is a small company getting into a, a big, big business. And I don't mean online gaming, but I mean gaming in, in, in general. And if, if the industry ever figures out the regulatory uh, hurdles, um, a company like Zynga at, at two and a half or three billion dollar market cap are, are, is not going to be uh, the winner. It's going to be the MGMs and uh, MGM Grands and the Wins and, and the Harrows. I mean, there is a different perception of gambling. I mean, you see the just a good example, I think, is when the British Open, the Open Championship takes place over in Scotland or, or England, wherever they have it at, the, at that particular year. But, uh, you know, the big bookmaking going on there, but it's just it's a bit of a different. It's just I think it's it's accepted a little bit uh, more over there than than it is necessarily over here. I think it's more widespread there. It's certainly uh, the big winner from something like this would just be Vegas, you know, the the companies that, that have that presence there keeping it in the realm of video game companies if you are activision blizzard or you're ea don't you think there is someone at both of those companies right now who is looking at this and and advocating we gotta at least plan for this if you're activision blizzard and you can give essentially think of the and i'm not a a big video game person but uh, even i am impressed by sort of the graphic uh, uh, interface of a game like Call of Duty, 
if you bring that to the world of video gaming, why wouldn't you, if you're Activision Blizzard, why wouldn't you at least kick the tires on something like this? I, I think that's, I think that's more true of, of their, of the approach that they should be taking towards social gaming. I, I'm not so sure if it, that's so true to, uh, of the approach they should be taking towards online gambling, uh, in particular. And again, I think that's because, um, that's not really the, the, the gambling industry. It's not, it's not about technology and great graphics and, you know, telling a great story. Uh, it's about, <laughs> you know, it's about the sin. It's, it's about, about, it's about, about getting it right. And there's already companies, damage. there's already companies out there that are getting that right and, and know how to, and know how to build gambling property. Right. And, and those are the gaming companies. That's exactly right. If you look at something like Activision Blizzard, for example, they, they sort of expand their presence into China and they're more or less offering free iterations of those games. I think it's the Call of Duty model that they're using over there right now to offer sort of that free uh, initial experience and then just the little micro transactions as you pro, as you, you know, progress your way through that world. Uh, so instead of, you know, basing their success and profitability on, on gambling, they're just selling these little virtual products, a la, I guess maybe a Farmville to a degree or whatever. But, you know, to me, I think that's a little bit more sustainable. But yeah, Alex is exactly right. Activision Blizzard is not kicking the tires on this because they don't have to. It's a completely different business in telling a story and focused on graphics and really reeling in gamers versus gamblers. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings can, well, breathe a little easier today. The SEC investigation last July uh, after Hastings had posted on Facebook that video streaming had exceeded one billion hours in a single month for the first time. Uh, now, guys, not only has the SEC cleared Hastings of any wrongdoing, they have said it is okay for companies to use social media to release important information as long as they alert investors in advance about which platforms they will use. Um, I, Alex, what did you make of this news? I, I, I remember when this story first broke, mm -hmm. and even though I thought it was uh, a small communications misstep on Hastings' part, uh, and there were people who thought, oh, no, no, he's he's perfectly within his right to do that. At no point did I think that the SEC was going to come down hard on him. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the, the the biggest story here is is the surprising fact that the SEC got it right so quickly uh, to come back and, and sort of state the obvious, which yeah. is that social media gets out to people. Right. It's a real thing. <laughs> it's, it's actually it's, happening. It's actually happening and and it is actually a a real and valuable communication device with, you know, the idea of getting information out to the masses. And uh that's that's unusual I think for for a regulatory body to to get it right on the first try. The only wrinkle I see here is this whole notion of as long as you alert investors as to which platform you're going to use. That seems like it's going to be an additional just pain in the butt for investor relations departments because how how is that going to be implemented? Is it is it just you know you you have your corporate Twitter account and it's just hey stay tuned all next week for a spontaneous tweet from us? No, so, I think it's yeah. more generalized that the you know the idea is uh, you know net, all Netflix needs to say is hey read and and Netflix have these Twitter accounts and. And, and that's a that's a medium that we'll use at some point in the future for to you know to disseminate information and sort of that's the start and end of it. Yeah, and I think this is something that'll probably evolve over time. And I mean, they made a good point in saying there is the difference between Reed Hastings' Facebook page and Net 
Netflix's Facebook page, right? And so I think what we'll probably see them try to at least guide towards is a dissemination via like a company Facebook page or a company Twitter account versus you know Elon Musk's personal Twitter account. Maybe, maybe they won't, but I, I mean, I do feel like yeah, I mean, they, they got it right here. It's finally you know to see them step into the 21st century. Uh, social media is here to stay, and it's a great way to get information out there. Now, with that said, I think you know what I what I would say on this is that as a personal preference, I don't know that I necessarily want a CEO going out there making a lot of noise. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate if they're tweeting something informative or educational, but but I think there's got to be some discretion, at least in the verbiage that they use in these, in these types of tweets. Uh, so that's got, yeah, I think they would, I, I'd like to see them use a little bit of discretion, uh, kind of like the, you know, sort of look at it and see what, what would Buffett maybe say if he was tweeting or Facebooking, uh, posting a Facebook, you know, <laughs> versus, you know, some of these other more, uh, a little bit more rattling a cage type posts. But uh, yeah, I think it's good overall. I like to see it. Well, that's the, I mean, Jason, I think you've hit on something that uh, comes up from time to time, and that is the whole notion of CEOs or any executive at a company sticking to their knitting. Because if uh, there's sort of a fine line between Elon Musk leading Tesla and being someone fun to follow on Twitter and then moving over to the point where you're like, wait a minute, why, what are you doing? What are you doing with your time? Why are you spending all of this time tweeting? Why aren't you actually looking to make even more money for your company or increase distribution or whatever? You have to be careful of the boy who cried wolf syndrome because I think if someone gets out there and said, you know, if they, if they, you know, make enough sort of out of left field posts and they don't really result in anything too terribly tangible, then you know, at some point, will people stop paying attention or will people even care? So, yeah, I mean, they just, again, I think they need to use discretion when they tweet what they tweet or post on Facebook. Make sure it's relevant. Make sure it matters. And, and I think that that would be, you know, appreciated by all. I think if you're an investor in Netflix or you're an investor in Tesla, you just sort of accept it. You take the good with the bad. These are two forward-thinking CEOs and using a medium that, you know, there are plenty of buttoned-up corporate executives in, in corporate America. And if that's what you want, there's plenty of opportunities to invest there. Uh, and, you know, if you got two guys out there that are that are you know taking chances and, and using social media in a new and inventive way, then sometimes it'll backfire. But you take the good with the bad. And it's not a public company, but if you're an angel investor in Twitter, this is yet another sign oh, yeah. of validation for your sure. business. Yeah, I'm a big Twitter fan. Do you think that? Do you think that? I'm assuming that there are people within Twitter who are advocating for them to go public sooner rather than later. And and by that I mean at some point in the next three years, not necessarily in, in 2013. But I, I just see this as being fodder for those people to sort of bang the table <laughs> and say, see, we need to get out there. We need to be a public company. But – that's, I I, that's definitely incremental. I think there are probably a lot of people at, at Twitter who would like to retire and so yeah. would, yeah, <laughs> would like to see the IPO as a result of that. <laughs> in fiscal year 2012, JCPenney lost more than $4 billion in sales. Who? Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, while uh, we certainly uh, don't hesitate to bash boards of directors – from time to time on this show, I think this is a good occasion to salute JCPenney's board of directors, which has cut CEO Ron Johnson's pay for 2012 by 97%. None of the top executives got a cash bonus for the year. Uh, on the one hand, this seems like a no-brainer, and yet, Alex, 
there are far too many boards of directors who are just willing to roll over for the CEO, and this that's not the case here. Yeah, this puts a, a, a fine point on two things. It, 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 it puts a fine point on JCPenney's troubles, first and foremost, obviously, and it's very clear to everybody, but it also reflects good governance by the board of directors, and it's really, uh, it's really commendable and shows that uh, when board of directors have uh, shareholders on the board, and Bill Ackman owns 18% of JCPenney and is on the board of directors, he owns 18% um, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that you know, it shows the it shows the value of having an, a board of directors that's aligned with the shareholders of the company, and you know, this is uh, a, an obvious reflection of that. There's no question it's the right call, but can you imagine the headline if you saw Ron Johnson reels in $30 million bonus? I mean, that would just be nuts i mean they can't even fathom so yeah i mean it's what he got 50 million or so to come over for for the last couple of yeah, months he's not Apple, crying. Uh, no he's and, fine and again his pay was cut by 97% and he's still taking home somewhere in the neighborhood of almost 2, yeah, two million dollars well, yeah. so so he's fine but plus his corporate jet perks yes and and yeah. hey listen i mean to be clear they're going to give him a couple of more quarters and you know joe fresh they're just rolling that new line I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about joe fresh what do you? No, th- not really. I'm just kidding. H- how much longer do you think he's there? In all honesty, he's got. I think he's got nine months. And you know, it, there, there's a story out there that that J.C. Penney has valuable real estate, and if worse comes to worse, they can sort of spin it off into a real estate investment trust and and sort of turn into uh, a kind of like a, a a mall real a mall real estate um, landlord kind of in a subletting kind of way. Um, and that's sort of the story on the bull story on J.C. Penney at this point, even if things don't. Don't turn around. Kind of like a Sears thing. Kind of, yeah, kind yeah. of like the old Sears and Eddie Lampert story. The, the The problem with that is 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 a fellow by the name of Steve Roth, who's the oh, chair, yeah. the chairman of Vernardo Realty, uh, about a month ago owned eight percent of J C Penney, and right. he was on the board of directors, and he's and he sold about two thirds of his stake at sixteen bucks a share. And if there's any investor in the world that knows the 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 viability of a real estate strategy for JC Penney it's going to be Steve Roth and and he sort of you know spoke with his checkbook said, isn't it kind mm, of sad so by the way isn't it kind of sad that the bull case for JC Penney as you just described it is does up. not actually involve yeah. <laughs> a lot more people going through the, the store and buying stuff from the business it involves this you know the machinations yeah. of Turning into a real estate investment it, trust. It may be too late. I mean, when you have when you have was it third minus thirty or minus forty percent yeah, like, sales yeah, for minus thirty minus thirty. minus thirty for a couple quarters in a row, uh, you start digging at yourself a hole that's that's probably too big to to get out of, um, unless you're unless you're in a position like Ackman is in to maybe you know see the stock go down another fifty percent and take the company under and uh, and take it private and and sort of away from the prying eyes of Wall Street, uh, you know, do a turnaround. So, Ron, I think a few weeks back we were taping the radio show over at uh, American U. I think Ron put it very succinctly. And, Ron Gross? And, yeah, incorrectly in, in that he's not so sure that the world really needs JCPenney. I mean, things are changing, and, and I, I just I don't think the world really needs JCPenney. So I think we're seeing those, those kinds of businesses fading away. Uh, before our final story, yesterday we talked about uh, the fact that it was National Peanut Butter and Jelly Day, and a couple of our listeners weighed in. I uh, got an email from Tristan uh, because we were talking, uh, Jason, about uh, the whole notion of a peanut butter and jelly restaurant. And, and fortunately, 
That's why we have millions of <laughs> listeners, because they wait in to say, yes, in fact, there are. Uh, Tristan emailed us to say, you might be interested in this place in New York City, which I visited several years ago, uh, and included a link to ilovepeanutbutter.com, and there's a sandwich shop that they have in, in New York City. Uh, Brian Taylor uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, tweeted, if you're ever in Portland, Oregon, this place is a must, and it's a place called PBJ's, which offers grilled gourmet peanut butter jelly creations. And I was looking at the website. And it looks phenomenal. It's just the sort of this amazing combination of various types of peanut butter, almond butter, which, of course, Andy Cross would love, <laughs> and then different types of things, including, thankfully, bacon. And we I had, saw that a peanut butter and jelly day here. Yeah, well, had, peanut butter jelly. Yeah, yeah. We had a sandwich day here at, at work. Yeah. And I, I saw the tweet earlier before that from Ryan McCauley, another listener, who said the same thing? Grilled PB and J. You got. I've never had that. Yeah. I, I, I will now. I mean, Once I, again, we're taking the show on the road, if only <laughs> so we can eat at some of these places. Samoa Air, a small airline in Samoa, has started pricing its international flights based on the weight of its passengers and their bags. Depending on the flight, each kilogram will cost between ninety-three cents and a dollar six. Um, uh, to me, the most interesting part about this story is the fact that they've been using this weight-based pricing since June, and it was just a couple of months ago that the U.S. Department of Transportation approved the pricing for an international route between Samoa and American Samoa. Uh, what do you make of this? Only in a place where people take pride in their large weight could the Largest. airline get away with charging by the pound. It'd be a point of pride to sort of show your receipt and be like, I, I had to pay twice as much as you. <laughs> That's a sign of success. Here's the quote from CEO Chris Langton at Samoa Air. Planes are run by weight and not by seat, and travelers should be educated on this important issue. The plane can only carry a certain amount of weight, and that weight needs to be paid. There is no other way. Let me tell you, I may offend someone, but I am 100% behind this decision. I mean, for a number of reasons. Sure but I mean, you are, like size 30. Right? <laughs> yeah, weigh like a buck 65 <laughs> myself, I know. But I, I think there is a lot to be said for it. I mean, you buy steaks by the pound. I mean, I'm not considering, I'm not calling it steaks. But you're right, planes fly by weight. If it's too much weight on the plane, it won't fly. And so, I mean, we were even making the, no, the, the note here that as, as parents, I mean, it'd be kind of nice to be able to buy a ticket for your girls or something and know that, that you're paying based on the size. I mean, your, your kid's basically paying the same price as you are. And see, I, I think this is a great decision. I'd be firmly behind it. This is just a natural progression. I mean, we're already paying for our, for overweight bags. We might as well be paying for exactly. overweight people. I, I don't know. I mean, I hey, my look, I'm one of them, so you can direct the e- don't direct the emails <laughs> to me. But there, there's, there's no way this expands, right? I mean, this seems like no one of those ideas that, right? that, yeah, no pun intended. Yeah. This seems like one of those ideas which is, Interesting to talk about, but I cannot imagine. Can you imagine the backlash of an of any U.S. based carrier? The ACLU trying to pull something like this. The ACLU would be on this like white on rice. There's no way it flies here, but I bet you you'd probably find a grassroots movement that would certainly support it. I'll bet your Weight Watchers would pay for a tie-in. Hey now, we will wrap up there. Alex Sheriff, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We are off tomorrow, but we will be back on Monday. We'll see you then.